Inspire, you are a beautiful, diverse church. And uh, my name is Lita, just like Cheetah. I was born in, I was born in Oklahoma, but I was raised in East San Jose uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, also very diverse. I have an African-American friend who married a Korean, and they named their kid Martin Luther Kim Jr. <laughs> Can we get the drummer back up here real quick? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I myself was on pastoral staff of a black church for about five years, um, and I had to also do some learning myself, and uh, I was eating some of the food at a church function, and uh, somebody came up to me, he's like, Pastor Lee, this is so good, it's going to make you want to slap your mama. <laughs> What'd you just say? He's like, oh, Pastor Lee, that's what, that's what we do. So last, at the next cookout, uh, I was like, man, this is so good. And I ran into the church kitchen. I was like, man, that was so good. I want to slap your mama. <laughs> and then the, the cooks in the kitchen stopped what they were doing. What'd you say? <laughs> Pastor Lita, it's supposed to be you slap your mama, not our mamas. And we got this big old debate, like, whose mama are we slapping now anyways? Whose mama are we slapping? Anybody know whose mama are we slapping? Goodness. Well, family, uh, as, um, as people shared already, um, I am, uh, my wife and I are planning a church in Fremont, and uh, we are uh, in the early, early stages, so we're looking at maybe 12, 18 months of a launch, but kind of just building our core team, praying through, uh, developing our, our, our mission values, all that good stuff. So we do appreciate your prayers and all that process. Uh, today, uh, we're going to look at uh, the differences between a fan and a follower um, we're going to look at these, um, these differences, kind of like how I like to describe um, the differences between uh, Golden State Warriors fans, like recently versus the faithful few, you know, like people that had to root for like Andres Biedrins and like Corey Maggetti and like, you know, people that had to root just like, just, be, just because, okay, you're my team, so I have to cheer for you. And then all the fans today that just hopped on the bad wagon, you know, you, you do you, but I'm a, you know, that's, that, that's, you're a fan. I'm a follower, okay? I'm a follower. And, and today we're going to look at the this, this story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, and, and there's some differences that I want to point out from this story that help us differentiate between a fan of something and a follower of something. So John chapter 13, it's 1 through 15. I'll go ahead and read this. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Everybody say wash. Jesus answered him, what I am doing now you don't understand, but afterward you will understand. 
Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my head and my hands. Jump to verse 14. If I then, Jesus says, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Lord, this is your church. It's not Pastor Philip's church. It's not a pastor's church or a person's church. This is your church. So now you do your work of your Holy Spirit that you have already called people to yourself. You've already called a family to yourself. Now continue to restore and heal. Continue to wake alive into a new calling and lifestyle where we see the world with fresh eyes from the anointing of the Holy Spirit to step into your calling that you have for us. Father, this is your church. Now do your work that only you can do, not human work, not human eloquence or human speech, but do the work that comes from looking at Scripture opening our hearts, and allowing your Holy Spirit to do the transformative work. All for your glory and your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does Pastor Philip stand on this side? Does he stand on this side? Right here? Because I, I, was, I, was, I had my iPad like right here facing this, and I was like, how does he preach like this? I feel like I'm about to like fall off the stage. Okay, so it makes sense. So like this, is, this, this works. So John chapter 13, verse 1, we're going to just kind of go through the story. Uh, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, everybody say loved, loved. who were in the world. He loved them. Everybody say love again. Yes. Love them to the end. The same love that Jesus had for his disciples, he has for you. Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your mind. That is the greatest command, is to be in a love relationship with God. The first mark of a follower is a love relationship with Jesus. Family, I want you to picture a dancer. And once you picture this dancer, she's dancing with grace and joy and rhythm. And you, got, you, you look at her dance, it's beautiful, it's movement. And when you look closer at her ears, you see she's got earbuds in. And she's dancing and moving to the rhythm of music. And the second person walks in. And the second person sees this first dancer and says, you know, I want to dance too. And the second person starts copying the motions of the dancer not really realizing she's listening to music. She's just copying the motions. And over time, the second person starts to get tired, starts to get fatigued, starts to get self-conscious. The second person you know, doesn't really realize that this first person has music she's moving to. And before long, the second person quits. And she's exhausted and feels completely empty. Family, a fan goes through the motions of church, a follower moves in rhythm with God's love. Are we just going through the motions? 
I mean, even, even it's exciting because as a church plant, you get off the ground, you fly. There's new reinvigorated faith. There's people that believe. There's life transformation. But after a while, you show up when it's dark and you're just setting up. You're, you're tearing down. You're bringing coffee. It just starts to be going through the motions. And before long, we just start to have this religion where we're like, yeah, that's what we do on Sundays. That's what we do on a Wednesday night. We just circle the bandwagons and we sing some songs and then we go home and go through the motions. But God calls us into a love relationship with him. He doesn't call us to go through the motions. He calls us into love. G.K. Chesterton said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. Do we truly love Jesus in a life of intimate prayer? Are we in the rhythm of playful and passionate scripture reading? Do we trust Jesus with all of our hearts and joy and suffering. When I was in college, I fell in love with all kinds of stuff. I fell in love with pool hall. I fell in love with weightlifting. I fell in love with all kinds of stuff. And uh, God said, you know what, Lita? I think I've about done with that. Go ahead, and I want you to fast. I said, God, okay, how long do you want me to fast for? He said, 11. Like, 11 hours? That's easy. I can do that in one sleep, one night. I'll wake up, and I'm good to go. No, he said, 11 days. So I fast for 11 days, didn't eat solid foods, and, and during that time, I picked up scripture instead of eating food or lunch, and I just had the scripture as my meal. And during that time, God awoke in my heart. He stripped off those love affairs of my heart from the world, and he said, Lita, I love you. And I'd open scripture, and I'd say, wow, you're talking to me? This is about me? You love me? Wow. And I woke up one morning, I said, no, I can't even contain this anymore. So I, I hopped on to the BART station, I said, God, where do you want me to get off? And he said, okay, I want you to get off here. And got off the BART, and I looked around Fruitvale Station, and I said, okay, God, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to start walking the streets. So I started walking the streets, and there were some people collecting cans. That's how they were making a living because they didn't have homes. So I started collecting cans with them. And throughout the time, I would go back and visit and help collect cans. I didn't have much money to give and became known as the preacher man because I'd walk the streets of Fruitvale with homeless people offering prayer, offering Jesus, offering the gospel. We are invited into a love relationship with God, not just to go through the motions. The second mark of a follower in this foot washing story, Jesus goes to each disciple and washes their feet, and right after he finishes in verse 14, this is what he says, now that I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. Just go and look at your neighbor right now and see, just, just kind of feel how awkward that would be. Just like, man, I don't want to touch your stanky feet, man. That's, that's just nasty. Man, wash your feet? Goodness. I don't even like touching my own feet, let alone your feet. family. A follower serves the church. Jesus calls us to wash one another's feet. And a follower of Jesus does this by washing each other's feet, by serving the church. But a fan consumes the church. 
So I'll go ahead and illustrate it this way. I want you to picture yourself, you know, let's say you walk into a restaurant. Name your favorite restaurant. Just yell it out. Texas Roadhouse. Sinaitis. I like pho myself. Any good pho place. All right. So let's say you walk into Texas Roadhouse and you open the door. And normally there's like an army of people like right there like waiting to serve you, right? But let's just say you walk in and you open the door and nobody's there. And you're just standing there waiting for someone to greet you. A few minutes go by. Five minutes go by. Ten minutes go by. You're like, dude, what's going on here? Finally, the, pe- the hosting staff show up. They're like, oh, yeah, welcome. Okay, come on over here this way. And they f- you follow them. They seat you at a table. They come back, throw some menus your way. You're like, dude, what, what's going on? It took forever to seat us. And then you, you pick out something on your menu. The waiter comes over and then takes your order. Ten minutes go by. Twenty minutes go by. Thirty minutes go by. An hour goes by. You're like, man, this place is whack. You take out your phone. You start putting them on blast on Yelp. I would give this negative stars if I could. <laughs> Food finally shows up, it's cold, it's nasty, you're pissed and you're hungry and you're mad and you're just, you just storm out of there. Why do you act this way? Why does this happen? Because I know I've done it. I know I would walk into a restaurant and if the waiter takes too long, I'm factoring how much I'm taking off on the tip, you know? <laughs> like what percentage, how many percentage points does this incur against you? Why is that? It's because the restaurant establishment exists to meet your consumer needs. That's why it exists for you. Now, let's say you walk home and you've got a dinner with mama, so you open the door. What's the first thing you do? Wait for people to come greet you? No, you're like, I'm home. So you run around, you hug your family, you give your mom a hug, your dad a hug if they're still around, and you say, how can I help? You don't, okay, well, it's re- dinner time. Sit your butt on the table and be like, well, now feed me. No, you get up and you say, how can I help chop? How can I help serve? Can I prep the table? Why is that? Because it's family, because you're home, because you're with people that you love, and you're with people that you know, and you're with people that are family. Now, family, let's be real. When we walk into Inspire, what do we see? What do you see when you walk into Inspire? Do you see an organization or a body to miss your spiritual consumer needs. Let me just go ahead and get my spiritual dopamine shot and get on my way. Now, you feed me, Pastor Philip. You make sure my needs are met, small groups. You make sure the children's programs are up to par, or I'm going to the next church down the street. Or do you see it as a family? I mean, it's incredible how many talented incredibly smart and gifted professionals just sit in church like zombies 
You know, you are exercising your gifting Monday through Friday. It's on fire. You're producing. You're productive. You're effective. And then you come to church and you just drool on the side of your mouth. All right, now just, ah, feed me, feed me. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, feed me. And here's an indicator. Here's an indicator of how you know what kind of mentality you have when you walk into church um, have you ever, when you were going home, have you ever asked the question or had somebody ask you the question, how was the sermon? Anybody do that? Raise your hand if you've done that. I know, I, I, I do every Sunday. I'm, I'm very judgy. I'm very judgy. All right. All right. All right. All right. How was the sermon? You know, family, how was the sermon um, was never in the Bible you know, because that, that, that you're basically taking that consumer mentality and you're transferring it into evaluating everything so that it serves you. And how was the sermon really is a question that is, okay, well, how does it meet my needs? You know, how was the sermon was never in the Bible, but how can I live differently because of what I heard is? That could have used an amen right there. And by the way, this is what Francis Chan said, somebody that complains about worship, next time you can gently remind them, oh, really, I didn't know we were worshiping you. Family, a follower serves the church as family. You wash one another's feet. You walk in here and you see family, people to love, people to serve, not just an organization to meet your consumer needs, raise your children in some faith, take them back and live your life. It's how can I serve this family? Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 describes the people of the church that are body parts that make up the body. There's a hand, there's an eye, there's a foot. I think so many American Christians, as I travel and preach, I think so many American Christians, you know, we don't see ourselves out of, as a vital organ of the church. We see ourselves really more like a skin tag that just kind of flaps around in the wind, you know, just a, just a come and go as we please, you know, totally anonymous in the back somewhere, no impact in the church body life, just a skin tag. And ask your neighbor, are you a skin tag? Family, Jesus calls us to so much more. He invites us to belong to this messy, beautiful organism called the church. And it's in these relationships with one another where you're washing one another's feet. You're getting in there and getting that toe jam. It's like, oh, not stanky feet. It's where you grow, it's where you flourish, it's where you thrive as a church, not where you show up once a week, say, how are you, brother? I'm great. How are you doing? Great. And let's keep it moving. That's not what Jesus meant. How are we washing one another's feet? Are we investing our finances and our talents? Are we carrying one another's burdens? Are we opening our homes to small groups or connect groups? Maybe it's time you go to Pastor Philip and say, Pastor, I think it's time I'm done being a skin tag. 
Number one, a follower loves Jesus versus the fan who just goes through the motion. Number two, a follower serves the church. A fan just consumes it. And finally, uh, they're sent on mission. Jesus finishes washing their feet and he teaches them in verse 20. He says this, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send, everybody say send, accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Everybody say sent. Sent to do what? Matthew 28 says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A mark of a follower is a life sent on mission to make disciples. A follower is sent on mission. A fan abdicates it. A fan says, no thank you. And here's the problem. Many of us church folk, we've been swimming in church for so long that all of our friends are Christian. Jesus never said, follow me and I'll make you keepers of the aquarium. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That means we are called into the margins to pursue the lost. That means we are supposed to go into places where Churches are not found where Christians aren't found, where it's supposed to be stigmatized, it's supposed to be put in the outliers of life. Jesus sends us. John Maxwell said, we're not just called to sit in chairs on a Sunday, we are called to make footprints, not just butt prints. In the movie The Hobbit, There's a scene where a crew of dwarves show up, and they invite Bilbo, this hobbit. And he's like, all right. They're like, we want to invite you on this adventure, and we want you to join our adventure, this mission that we are sent on. And they give Bilbo a contract, and they say, here is where you could go wrong. And he reads this contract and says, well, if you join our mission... You could lose your head. You could be eaten by a dragon. You could lose your limbs. You could, be in, uh, you could be set on fire. You can lose your life. And he reads this contract. He's like, y'all are crazy. I'm not joining you in this thing. No way. And he says, no. The dwarves uh, leave his house, and he wakes up in the morning in an empty house. And he looks around. Like, man, this is, this is really quiet out here. And he starts to tap his foot get a little antsy, and the next scene shows him running through the field, carrying the contract, saying, wait, dwarves, wait for me. I'm going to join you. I want to join your adventure. Hold on. I'm joining you, and he's running through the fields, and the rest of the movie shows him risking life and limb, but having this crazy epic adventure where he's on this mission and nothing will stop him. And you see him grow and you see him face these challenges and rise to the occasion. Family, we were created for something more than just to collect toys, reach retirement, raise a family, and die. We were created by God to be sent on mission. And yes, it's dangerous. And yes, it will cost you. And yes, It will be uncomfortable at times, but a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. 
Your unchurched coworkers won't come to church. You invite them to inspire, they say, no, nah, I'm good. But your unchurched coworkers will come to your backyard cookout. Your unchurched coworkers won't come here on a Sunday morning, but they will go to dinner with you after work if you invite them and say, I'm treating. <laughs> right? You know that's true. They won't come here, but they will go to your home if you open your kitchen table and your kitchen to them. Are we leading our unchurched friends and family into a life-saving relationship with Jesus? Are we sent on mission? Are we living in the call as people making disciples of Jesus? Are we being sent into the Bay Area as inspired church, inspires faith in those that are far from God? Are we just keepers of the aquarium? Or are we making disciples and fishing for men? After working in startup for a little bit, I, was, uh, I turned to my wife and said, hey, um, I need a sugar mama. Uh, I want to go back to school. <laughs> so she said, okay. So for three years, I, I got my graduate degree and we are able to, I found a calling here in, in Fremont and uh, I became an associate pastor for eight years. And now, uh, just a few Sundays ago, I actually said goodbye to my church because I want to plant a church because I believe in new churches reaching new people for the glory of God. And it's the scariest thing in the world. I mean, like, health care? What's that? <laughs> Salary? What's that? And we, we, we have to be creative with how we figure stuff out in life, and we have to hustle, and we have to, we have to grind. But now I do believe that this is the call God's placed in my life to be sent on mission to make disciples. What's the call he's placed on yours? Maybe it's not to plant a church. Right? Maybe it's to be faithful right where you're at. You know, being sent on mission isn't necessarily inviting non-Christians into a Christian context. It's not necessarily inviting your coworker to church. Sometimes what it means, it's activating a Christian in a non-Christian context. That just, okay, let me just go ahead and say that. What that means is when you're in your cubicle working and you're typing emails, you're asking God, how do I do this for your glory and advance your mission? When you're on the factory floor, when you're manufacturing goods or when you're teaching kids or when you're raising somebody, you are thinking to yourself, how am I activated on mission right where I'm at? Three marks of a follower. Loves Jesus, serves the church, sent on mission. Three marks of a fan goes through the motions, consumes the church, abdicates the mission. When I was uh, doing my fast, at the end of my fast, God called me to sell my stuff. So I had a bunch of, I collected a bunch of like paintball, airsoft guns, you know. And so God said, I want you to sell this stuff. And I, I put them, uh, this is actually before you can just like 
post something or whatever. So I had to, I took pictures and I developed them. So I brought them over to the nearby drugstore and to get them developed. And, you know, airsoft guns, if you guys know, uh, they look like real guns, but they're not. They're just BB guns. So a few, I, I, I brought them over to be developed and I forgot about them. And a few days later, I was somewhere outside the house, but Knock, 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 knock. My parents are having a dumpling party, okay? I'm Chinese. Like, we love dumplings, okay? They're literally, like, sitting around the table with their church small group, like, ah, and they were folding dumplings. Bam, bam, bam. The door knocks. They open it. It's the SWAT team. And the SWAT team shows up with M4A1s, MP5s, real assault rifles, get on the ground, get up against the wall. They pin my family to the wall because somebody put my pictures that I developed, they reported it to the police and they thought I was a terrorist. I mean, I I guess I I, I looked in the mirror like, okay, maybe, I guess, (laughs) maybe. But they had everybody against the walls and they're like, get on the ground, get on the ground. My parents are like, we're just folding down, please. And they ransacked my room, and they were looking for the guns, but then they took all the stuff that they found, and they were like, wait a second, these are BB guns. And they just shook them around, they looked at them, they, they, they looked at them, I mean, they're like, these aren't real. They're just a pile of toys. Family, some of us think we're packing heat when we're really packing BBs. And when that day comes knocking, your faith of plastic will be revealed. And the sheep will be separated from the goats, and the wheat from the tares, and the fans from the followers. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we go to church every Sunday? Didn't we tithe? Didn't we go to small groups? Didn't we do the church thing? Didn't we go through the motions? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, evildoers. This isn't just something to do, this Jesus thing. This isn't just an elective. It's, it's a whole way of life. It's a whole heart transformation. So what should you do? Read more? Give more? Serve more? In this foot washing story, Jesus was about to wash Peter's feet, and Peter responds in verse 6, Lord, you're going to wash my stanky feet? No. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Being a follower doesn't start with loving Jesus, serving the church, or joining a mission effort. Being a follower starts and continues to circle back to realizing how much we need Jesus, how broken we are, how messed up we are, how dirty we are, how much I need the cleansing grace of Jesus in my life. And what keeps many of us away from God isn't the sin we know we have, but it's the righteousness we think we have. Because I go to church and I check off these boxes and I go through the motions and I'm part of a small group. Everything is fine. Everyone knows John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, 
He gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. But right before it, in John 3, 15 and 14, the verse right before it, what does it say? The verse right before it talks about the Son of Man must be lifted up. Just like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness with Moses. This is what he's talking about. When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had a time where they rebelled against God and God got angry and he sent serpents to inflict them with poison and he told Moses, God told Moses, I want you to build this metal serpent. I want you to lift it up and as soon as people see it, the ones inflicted with poison will be healed. Jesus says, I must be lifted up just like that serpent in the wilderness was lifted up. Why? Because every single person in this room, in this world, is inflicted with poison. Every single one of us have poison running through our veins that we were born with, that we can do nothing about, that we are completely and utterly and completely helpless and desperate state before God, and we need his grace. We need his gospel, and that's why he died. He died so you, your sins and all the, the ways that we've fallen short and the ways that we've broken hearts and the way we lusted and had pride, the ways we've cheated and stolen, he took that all upon himself, and he paid the payment for us, and he says, I give to you my righteousness. I take your poison out of your veins, and I give you the antidote. That's my life. That's my righteousness. It's a free gift to you. All of us are inflicted with poison, this poison of sin that rebels against the creator of the universe and the creator of our souls. And the difference of a fan versus a follower isn't someone who's always in the church in a million ministries. The difference between them is somebody who knows how helpless they are. And I need you, Jesus, and I submit my life to you, and I receive your healing grace. Pray with me. I want you to picture right now, I want you to picture Jesus. He is kneeling before you right now. And he holds a wash towel and a basin. And he kneels before you and he begins to wash your feet. And your gut reaction is, no, don't touch me. I just yelled at my kids. I just lusted after somebody. I just wasted my entire weekend in sloth. But he says to you, unless I do this for you, you have no part with me. And he takes his towel and he runs it over your feet as a symbol of him washing away of your sins. Take a moment now. Bring all of yourself to God. All of the hidden parts, all of the parts that nobody in this room knows about, all of the parts that you keep in darkness, bring it all before him now and allow him 
to wash you with his grace. Right now, I want you to give a moment to you right where you are. And I want you to just confess in your own space, in your own silence, your own way, your sins before God right now. Go ahead. Jesus, you have heard our cries. You have heard the confession of our mouths. And you clean us with your grace, with the blood of the cross. We are forgiven. As far as the east is from the west, we are forgiven. You take the poison away from us, and we are forgiven. We come to you for the antidote not the world, not for work, not money or family or success. We come to you for the antidote, for the cleansing of our souls, and we receive your grace, Jesus, that you have given so freely from the cross. Go ahead and give God just a shout of praise right now. Thank him for cleansing you. Thank him for the grace he gives to you. Thank him for the love he pours unconditionally out to your soul. Jesus, thank you. We love you. We thank you for the work you did on the cross. And we pray it's from this place, it's from this place of helplessness, of coming to an end of ourselves, that we will launch into mission, launch into loving the church, launch into loving you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we receive your grace for your glory, for the expansion of your kingdom, and for our joy. And all of God's people said, amen.